Well, good morning and welcome to Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church. It is good to see that some of you are still in town over this Christmas season, and I am eager not only to to share fellowship with you, but to share God's word with you this morning. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19. This Advent season, we have been considering the question together, why did Jesus come into the world? Because that's what we're celebrating during this Christmas time. And this morning, we hear yet another of Christ's answer to that question in Luke 19, verse 10. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 for us so we hear this verse in context. But before we hear God's word, let us call upon him once again in prayer. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we can never adequately express our thanksgiving that you loved us so much that you sent your son into this world to seek us and to save us. I pray that as we hear your word again this morning, that your call would go forth once again, that we would hear you calling each of us by name, and that you, by your Spirit, would give us ears to hear that call and a heart to respond obediently to it. We ask that you would increase our joy and our sense of peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord to you this morning from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. She, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the holy, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word of our God. Well, as we read, there once was a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a little man. According to the song, he was a wee little man whose small stature sometimes made it hard for him to see. But even worse, Zacchaeus was a lost man whose sin made him someone that no one wanted to find. It is frightening to be lost. It's even more frightening if you are lost and no one is looking for you. No one was looking for Zacchaeus. He was 
unlooked for because he was unloved. At least that's probably how he felt. But on that day in the town of Jericho, as Zacchaeus sat perched in a sycamore tree, he made the most important discovery of his soon-to-be eternal life. For he discovered that the man he had ran and climbed up into a tree to see had actually come to that town to see him. He didn't know it right away, but he was seeking the Lord because the Lord was already seeking him. The Lord was especially looking for him, lost and little him, because the Lord greatly loved him. And that is the grand discovery of the gospel. That is the glorious message of Christmas, which we get to celebrate again. Christmas is the celebration that Christ Jesus came into the world, was born and laid in a lowly manger. And so, as I said, we've been asking the last couple of weeks, why did Jesus come into the world? Why is there a Christmas? And of all the answers that we have heard so far, this, I believe, is the central reason. Jesus came into the world to seek and to save the lost. And so on this Christmas Eve morning, we are going to meditate on these two wonders. Number one, that Jesus came to seek the lost. And number two, that Jesus came to save the lost. So first, Jesus came to seek the lost. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, up in that sycamore tree, he told Zacchaeus to come down because he needed to stay at Zacchaeus's house on that day. He said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And we might ask why. Why must Jesus stay at Zacchaeus's house? Because it was not only why Jesus had come to Jericho on that day, it was in a very real sense why Jesus had come into the world. He had come into the world to find Zacchaeus and stay with Zacchaeus, as he had done for all of his people. Why must he stay at Zacchaeus' house? He tells us in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus had to stay at Zacchaeus' house because it was part of his mission to seek and save the lost like Zacchaeus. Who then are the lost? Well, they are the particular people Jesus came to find. The lost are the people Jesus is looking for. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 34, God speaks to the leaders of Israel at that time, whom he called shepherds. And he speaks to them because they were not taking care of his people, whom he calls sheep. God was angry because the shepherds were not protecting and providing for his sheep. And so his sheep had been scattered throughout the world. That's what happens to shepherdless sheep. They inevitably get lost. And God's sheep had become shepherdless. They were lost. They were weak. They were wounded. And they were weary. They were helpless before their enemies. They were neglected by their shepherds. And God laments 
My shepherds have not searched for my sheep. So what does God do? He says, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. God says, I'm, I'm going to fix this problem. I am personally going to come and I'm going to seek for my sheep. The lost, therefore, are God's lost. They belong to him. This is evident in the three parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. First, he tells of a shepherd who loses one of his 100 sheep. So he leaves the 99 and he searches for the lost one until he finds it. Notice that the shepherd is looking for his sheep, sheep that belongs to him. And then Jesus tells of a woman who loses one of her 10 silver coins. And so she seeks diligently until she finds it. But again, it is her coin that she is looking for. And finally, Jesus tells the parable of a son who leaves his father in sin, but eventually comes home and the father rejoices that his son was lost and now is found. But that lost and found son belonged to his father. It wasn't somebody else's son. It was his son. And the implication is clear. The lost that Jesus came to find are God's lost. They belong to God. He is looking for what is his. Because you can only lose something that you possess. If you never had it, you can't lose it. Jesus came to seek the lost that belonged to his father and had been given to him to find. That's not all we can say about the lost. For the lost, we see, are those who appear insignificant to everybody else. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a little man, that he was small of stature, you rarely get physical descriptions of people in the Bible. So why does Luke tell us that Zacchaeus was small? Well, obviously, he tells us that Zacchaeus was little, and that's why he had to climb up in a tree. He couldn't see Jesus over the crowd. But I think Zacchaeus also appeared small to everybody around him, meaning that nobody saw him. No one makes room so that Zacchaeus can see Jesus passing by. This is why he has to run ahead and climb a tree. He couldn't see, but in a real sense, he was also unseen. Kids, do you ever feel this way? Do you feel unseen? Because you're small. It's like nobody notices you, hears you. It's really hard to get grown-ups' attention. They're always talking about important things, and you want to say something and just tell you, just wait. Now, of course, we, we have to learn to wait and be patient and not interrupt. But sometimes when we are small, we feel unseen. We feel insignificant. Well, kids, the truth is that even when you grow bigger, sometimes you still feel small and unseen in the eyes of others. We still feel like nobody really sees us. Nobody really understands us because nobody really cares about us. Maybe we aren't the most intelligent person. We're not the most talented or attractive or funny or socially aware or influential. 
Having conversations might be hard for us. Learning might be hard for us. Sports might be hard for us. Dealing with our own thoughts and feelings and experiences might be hard for us. And so we think, no one really cares what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm suffering. Nobody really cares what I have to say. Nobody sees me. We feel small. We feel lost in a very big world. We sing it's a small world after all, but it doesn't feel small. We feel small. No one cared whether Zacchaeus could see Jesus or not. Because in all honesty, nobody did care about Zacchaeus. If someone has 100 sheep, do they really get stressed out if just one goes missing? If you've got a lot of coins, do you really care if one is missing? It's just one. But the lost are not just insignificant in the world. They are despised. See, the problem for Zacchaeus wasn't just that people couldn't see him. It's that they didn't want to see Zacchaeus. They didn't want anything to do with Zacchaeus. The people even grumble when Jesus pays attention to Zacchaeus and wants to spend some time with him. They're disgusted. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And they weren't wrong about this. Zacchaeus was a sinner. In verse 2, Luke tells us Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, it's not that it was wrong to collect taxes or to be rich, but this isn't the first time in Luke's gospel account that people grumble about who Jesus is spending time with. In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus goes to eat at Levi's house, who was also a tax collector, and a bunch of his tax collector friends come over, the Pharisees and the scribes again grumble, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And the very reason that Jesus tells those three parables in Luke 15 is because, again, the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. This infuriates them. Jesus is hanging out with the people that the religious people despise the most. Now, sinner was just a general term that referred to anyone who was out of step with God and his law. It covered all kinds of disreputable lifestyles. But you notice that there was a whole other category for tax collectors. There were sinners. Then there were tax collectors. They were especially hated by the Jews. We may wonder why. Well, tax collecting in ancient Rome worked something like this. The government would not actually collect taxes directly. They, they knew nobody likes to pay taxes, so this wasn't going to help people love the Roman government more. So they would essentially sell the rights to collect taxes to the highest bidder. Like when there's multiple contractors who want a job, so they all put in a bid, the highest bidder gets the job. So usually tax collectors would form groups like investment groups so they could make higher bids. The highest bidder would then pay the Roman government whatever they had bid. And now they had the full support of Rome's military to go out and collect taxes from the people. If they collected less than they had paid the Roman government, well, they just ate the losses. But if they went out and collected more than they had paid the Roman government, they got to keep all the profit. Rome didn't care because they already had their money and they didn't care because people were going to get angry with the tax collectors, not them. 
which meant that tax collectors often found multiple ways to cheat the system and to cheat people out of their money. They would collect far more than was necessary because there wasn't a fixed tax amount. So Jews hated tax collectors because a lot of times they did steal their money. They were also friendly with the Roman government who was oppressing the Jewish people and they were regularly interacting with Gentiles, which made them unclean. So tax collectors were not only hated, they were religious outcasts. They couldn't testify in Jewish courts. They couldn't enter Jewish synagogues or the temple. If they walked into your house, your house was now unclean. So not only the tax collector, but his entire family was cut off from Jewish society. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was probably the leader of one of those investment groups. And by noting that he was rich, it meant he probably cheated people out of a whole lot of money. In verse 8, Zacchaeus even admits that he has defrauded people. So... Tax collectors were despised more than other sinners. Zacchaeus was probably despised more than other tax collectors. Zacchaeus was a great sinner. And so we see that the lost are not only great sufferers, they are great sinners. If you only hear Jesus' first two parables in Luke 15, you might think that the sheep and the coin get lost because the one who owned them was neglecting them and just lost them. As if it wasn't their fault that they were lost. But Jesus' third parable corrects this assumption. Because the lost son is not lost because he had a bad father. The problem wasn't the father neglected him or just sent him away. The son is lost because he ran away. He got himself lost. He despised his father, not the other way around. He left his father, not the other way around. And the son didn't just run away. He ran away into great sin. So God was angry in Ezekiel 34 with the shepherd leaders because they had sinfully neglected his sheep. His sheep were greatly sinned against, but this didn't excuse the sheep. They were also great sinners. The shepherd's sin did not excuse the people's sin. So Isaiah says of God's people in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Paul agrees in Romans chapter 3. He says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We can be great sufferers and great sinners at the same time. We can be sufferers who have truly been sinned against, and we can cry out for judgment to fall on our enemies at the same time. We are ourselves great sinners who deserve judgment to fall upon us. Those aren't mutually exclusive realities. So we are lost not because God neglected and lost us, not because he cared so little for us that he misplaced us without a second thought. It is because we cared so little for him that we ran away into sin seeking something other than God. And I'm sorry, but we cannot celebrate Christmas with any meaning if we don't talk about sin. <laughs> That's why Christmas took place. So the lost belong to God. They are insignificant and despised in the world, and they have intentionally wandered away from God into great sin. Paul says, 
They've made themselves worthless. And yet Jesus says, those are exactly the people that I came into this world to find. And this is the wonder of the gospel. God promised in Ezekiel 34, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will seek the lost. He will seek these people who have made themselves worthless as if they were jewels of infinite worth. That's why Jesus shows up to Jericho on that day. The Son of Man didn't walk into Jericho by happenstance. He wasn't walking absent-mindedly when he just happened to come across Zacchaeus. He came to Jericho on purpose because he came to seek Zacchaeus. Think about this. There's, there's a great crowd gathered by the road to see Jesus. Why would Jesus look up into a tree? Jesus doesn't appear to me to be a daydreamer who just is constantly distracted by everything around him. He looks up into the sycamore tree because he knows that's where the person he came to find is located. Unless you think that Jesus' eyes just happened to wander up and he was curious why this little man is sitting up in a tree. Remember, Jesus didn't say, who are you? What are you doing up in that tree? He looks at the man and he says, Zacchaeus. He knows exactly who this man is. He says, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. Clearly, they'd never met. Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus was. He's probably heard about this famous miracle worker. Everyone had heard of Jesus at that point, but he'd never met him. Yet clearly Jesus already knew who Zacchaeus was. He knew his name because he was looking for him. Jesus was there because it was his God-given mission to be there. He wasn't there just to find anyone. He was there to find Zacchaeus. And that, again, is the gospel. Because Zacchaeus, like all of God's people, had been chosen before Zacchaeus had ever been born. Before Jesus had been born into the world. Before the universe had been born into existence. Zacchaeus' name had been written in the book of life. See, Jesus has a book of names. We read in Revelation 21 that only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter paradise. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that these names were written down before God created. He says that God chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so again, we may wonder, who are these chosen sheep whose names were written down in the Lamb's book of life? Surely they're the names that we've heard of. Surely they're the names that we write down in our history books. They're the best and the brightest, the, the bold and the beautiful. No, Paul says, as he reminds the Corinthians, so he reminds us. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Those 
are the kinds of people that God chose in love. But those beloved sheep went astray. They wandered away from the fold and from their good shepherd because they thought the world would love them and give them more than God had given them. But the world of sin has scattered them, starved them, and slaughtered them. God's sheep are lost. They are weak and wounded, sick and sore, dead and dying in the infinite darkness of sin and sorrow. So what did God do? God sent his only begotten son, son of God and son of man into the world. He sent the Lord of light into the layer of darkness to seek and find those lost sheep. The father said to his son, our beloved sheep are lost and you need to go find them. You need to call them by name that they will come back to us. And the son joyfully said, I will go. I will call them. They will come. And I promised not one of those sheep are going to remain lost. How do we know that that's what happened? Well, the Bible tells us so. Jesus prayed to the father in John 17. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus said, you gave me a work. You gave me a mission. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So he says, my mission was a people. You gave them to me before you sent me. But he prays, yours they were. They already belong to the Father. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So God has done exactly what he said he would do in Ezekiel 34. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the good shepherd who came to find and call his sheep by name. And he promises that not one of them will be lost. Jesus' mission is not successful if one remains lost. He can't find 99.99% of them and say, hey, that, that's a really good percentage. One stays lost, Jesus has failed. And we might think, well, God, throughout history, he's got billions of sheep. He doesn't just have 100. So does he really care if one or two remain lost? Is he really going to make sure he finds them all? Yes, he is going to make sure. Because Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So do you ever honestly think to yourself, no one understands the depths of my sin and sorrow. No one cares about me enough to understand because I'm just a nobody. Nobody would look for me in this darkness. No one would want to enter this disgusting darkness to find me because no one would think I'm worth that journey. Then you don't yet understand who Jesus is and why he came into this world. He 
came to seek his lost sheep wherever they have wandered, however low they have sunk. He will seek them in the deepest darkness. He will seek them in the gloom. He will seek them in the disgust of their sin and in the despair of their sorrow. There is not a depth that Jesus will not swim to to recover his lost sheep. The psalmist cries, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, it's the place of the dead, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So Jesus knows exactly how far we have wandered in sin. He knows exactly how deep we have sunk in sorrow. And yet he entered the darkness of this world. He took on our frail flesh. He swam to the ocean floor of our sorrows. And he took upon us the full weight of our sin. He went where no one else was willing to go in order to find us. And he didn't just go out calling anybody by name, hoping that he could just find somebody to save. He went calling his sheep by name. One of my favorite movies is a World War II movie. Most of my favorite movies are World War II movies. This one is called Saving Private Ryan. The premise of that movie is that a handful of soldiers are sent out on a mission after D-Day. They have to go into enemy territory because they are looking for a man called Private Ryan. They are risking their lives not to just rescue anybody they can find in enemy territory. They are risking their lives because they have been sent to find one man in particular. Now, this isn't a man that anyone else would have thought it's worth risking the lives of others to find. He's just a private. He's not a general, not any kind of officer. He's not significant to the war effort as if he dies, the war's over. They are sent to find him because he is the only surviving son of his mother. All of her other sons have been killed in battle, and so it's decided she shouldn't lose all of her children, and so... These men are sent to save Ryan. They risk their lives going about in enemy territory, asking everywhere they go, have you seen Private Ryan? And that is just a small glimpse of what Jesus came into the world to do. He came with a mission to find a particular people by name. A people no one else would have thought are significant and worth saving, but they were precious to his father, and so he went to find them. But he didn't just come to seek them. He came to save them. And this is number two, which is much shorter than number one. Jesus didn't come to just seek the lost. He came to save the lost. He didn't come into the world merely to identify with sinners and sufferers, to just give them somebody who understands their hurts and pains. Now, it is a great comfort to find people who actually understand you and your experiences, who understand your pain and can relate to what you feel, but that is not the greatest comfort. In fact, if that's all somebody can do, in the long run, it's going to increase your despair. Why? Because it means there's not actually a way out 
of your sin and suffering. It means sin and suffering will not only be your beginning and your middle, it's going to be your end. See, search and rescue missions are not successful if you just end with the search part. Hey, we found them. Now we go our own way. You need to actually rescue them. In 2018, there were 12 kids on a soccer team with their coach who were exploring these deep caves in Thailand, and they got lost, and heavy rains came, and so that deep, elaborate cave system started to rapidly flood, and it took a Herculean effort, about 10,000 people working together to find these soccer players and rescue them. I think in the last year or so, a movie's even been made about this story. And it's an amazing story, not only because of the efforts to find them, but because of the efforts to actually rescue them. A movie was made because they actually got them out. And I want you to listen again to God's words in Ezekiel 34. He says, I will seek the lost. But that's not all he says. He says, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. See, the gospel's not just good news because Jesus sought and found us. It's good news because he sought and saved us. This is the great sadness of the world's answers to sin and suffering. The world does recognize that there is sin and suffering, but their answers just leave us where we are. There's a great desire to comfort sinners and sufferers, but there's not an actual attempt to save them. What we do is just explain away our sins and and make them something good so that we'll feel better about where we are. We work very hard to help people feel better. We ought to work hard to actually make people better. So you don't go to the doctor just to feel better for a minute. There's always ways we can temporarily make people feel better without curing them. But if we just deal with people's feelings and we don't cure them, we are actually killing them. And when Jesus was eating with Levi and the tax collectors and the scribes and Pharisees were grumbling, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus says, I'm I'm a physician. And if you go to the emergency room in agony... It is very nice if the doctor has a good bedside manner. It probably would bring you some kind of relief if the doctor said with tears in your eyes, I I know exactly how you feel and I'm so sorry that you are suffering. Maybe the doctor gives you a hug. But that relief is going to quickly fade if the doctor gives you a hug and then gives you your discharge papers and moves on to the next patient. I suppose hugging doctors are nice. What we need are healing doctors. Jesus didn't come to just hug you in your sickness. He came to heal you of your sickness. He didn't come to seek you and then just sit with you in the dark. He came to lift you into the light. Because his mission wasn't just to seek the lost, it was to save the lost. And praise be to God that when he finds us, he doesn't leave us where he found us. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. Like the sheep, like the coin, 
like the prodigal son, Zacchaeus had been lost, but now he was found, and he was no longer where Jesus had found him. And by that, I don't mean Zacchaeus was no longer in the tree. I mean he was no longer in his sin. How do we know that? Because we see the evidence of salvation in Zacchaeus. We see faith and we see repentance. We read, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. See, Zacchaeus was seeking who Jesus was. He's curious. Who is this guy? And now he finally understands. This guy is his Lord. And in calling him Lord, Zacchaeus is acknowledging, I'm following you now. But he doesn't just speak faith. He demonstrates repentance. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus was not yet a perfect man, but he was absolutely a changed man. And it wasn't just sorrow over sin. It was joy in Jesus. Says, he, he says this joyfully. Repentance is an act of rejoicing. Zacchaeus had found something better than everything he had been seeking in the rest of his, in his early life. He had treasured money. Now he tre treasured Jesus. Because Jesus said he came to call sinners to repentance. Which means we're not in the same place we were. The lost are found. The lost are then brought to a new place. Repentance is moving into a new home. It's leaving the darkness and entering the light. And yet we must be clear that faith and repentance are the evidence of Jesus' salvation, not the cause of salvation. Those boys in the cave in Thailand could not rescue themselves. The story is not that the people came and found them and said, all right, here's the way out. Good luck. No, they couldn't do it themselves. In fact, the boys were put under anesthesia so they wouldn't panic as they had to swim out these dark, narrow tunnels to get out of the cave. So they were all made unconscious, and then the divers just swam them out. They wake up, they're out of the cave. That's salvation. Salvation is not Jesus comes to you and says, hey, here's the way out. Go do it. Salvation is Jesus comes to people who could not possibly save themselves. And all of a sudden, it's like we are awake for the first time. We were dead. Now we're living. We couldn't see. Now we can see. We couldn't hear. Now we can hear. We couldn't breathe. Now we can breathe. And how did Jesus make us alive? I end with this. He didn't just risk his life to save his lost sheep. He laid down his life to save his lost sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he did this on the cross. Christmas is not good in and of itself. Christmas was just Jesus' first step to the cross. And all of our sins... And all of our sorrows were laid upon him as he hung on that tree. Jesus went up into a cursed tree so that we could climb down from ours. We are told, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The good news of Christmas is that the Son of Man came not only to seek, but to save the lost. And when Jesus died on the cross, the good shepherd held every single one of his sheep in his heart, and his call ventured out into time and space to make sure it found every single one of his sheep, whoever had lived or whoever would live, calling them by name. And that call, the call of the cross, is still reverberating throughout the universe. It is still seeking his sheep. Because Jesus did not die thinking, boy, I hope somebody will be saved. He died knowing that his death at that moment was liberating his chosen, beloved people from the bondage of their sin. And at some point, every sheep will hear the echo of Christ's call attached to their name. And so I ask you, do you hear his call? Do you hear him calling your name? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do pray that here and now, the lost would hear the call of the shepherd. I pray that Christ would continue to succeed in the mission you gave him. That not one of the sheep you gave him would be lost. So I pray that we would continue to heed the call of our good shepherd this Christmas. And not just once a year on Christmas, but every single day. For the gospel is no better during this time of season than it is the rest of the year. But I pray that you would keep calling and that the lost would keep coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.